Thanks so much for coming. It is a beautiful day out, at least from my window. I was wondering if people would be outdoors today. I would like to continue last week, or no, the week before, we kind of got back to basics. We talked about uh, some of the Satipatthana, and I wanted to revisit um, reflection today, how we reflect in the Dharma. For those of you who've been with Wednesday Wake Up for the last five months or so, you know that at the end of the month, I like to encourage people to do some intentional reflection. And with that, I tend to give a new Dharma talk on looking at that from a new perspective and how we look at the Dharma through the lens of investigation, which is one of our factors of awakening. So I wanted to mention a few things about the Dharma in relationship to the need or the benefit, you could say, of reflecting on our practice, how we can use intentional reflection to get deeper into the process of awakening to get deeper into the process of cultivating happiness and abandoning suffering. Because there's quite a bit to this, and so when we do get a chance, I'd like to be able to come and revisit it. Some of it will be redundant, but it is my goal to keep coming back to it so we can really get a deep understanding. So I'm going to do that, and then uh, depending on time, I've got a few reflections for us that we can participate in towards the end to ground this in reality. So what I'm going to do is just talk about some, remind us of some of the basics. Remind us of some of the basics and how these basic premises of Buddhism and of the Dharma encourage us to reflect, not just be present, which is what we were just doing for the most part, but also to reflect intentionally on happiness and suffering and the role we play in it. When we talk about happiness and freedom in the context of the Dharma, it's important to remember, and you all know I say this quite a bit, but it's important to remember that we play a role in shaping our experience. And the reason I say it so often is because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget when happiness and stress and discontent, it doesn't matter which side of the coin, when happiness and stress and discontent are present, we are playing a role in shaping that experience. And it's so easy to lose track of that and to find the cause of our inner turmoil in some outside circumstance. And we lose our way to being able to do something, and we lose our way in regards to, to autonomy and agency in taking part. Because we already take part, but we do it unconsciously. So the challenge with this is not only do we play a role in shaping suffering and shaping happiness, we come in ignorant of it. So not only are we taking part in the whole process, we don't know that we're taking part in the process. And so instead, we tend to live on autopilot. We tend to live our lives falling back on unconscious habit patterns. And these harmful unconscious habit patterns, as most of us know, are called the five hindrances. And hindrances are simply harmful habits that keep us lost in suffering. They're harmful habits where the mind falls back on autopilot and it begins to act out of craving and aversion. It begins to act out of fear and agitation and desperation. And we have this blind spot. We're human beings. We come in with this ignorance and we are unaware of the role we play in each present moment experience. So it's always important to remind ourselves every so often that we play a role and it's easy to forget that that role is being played by us. It's like watching a movie and not realizing we're one of the actors 
on the stage or on the film and just looking at it and thinking it's somebody else. It is really easy to forget that we're involved in this whole living thing. Another thing to remember, not only are we ignorant of the fact that we're playing this role, the ignorance is very strong. The pull back to unskillful actions is very loud. It's hard to get away from that gravitational field. It's like launching a rocket. And we know this if you think about asking your mind to be present with uh, the breath. We ask the mind to be present, we take a few breaths, and the gravity of wandering mind just sends the mind off in a completely different direction. And oftentimes it happens so strongly and so quickly without even being aware of it, the mind's just gone. It's somewhere else. And we don't even come to for about 15, 20 minutes sometimes. We are pulled away from the present moment by this really strong tendency or gravitational pull away from this participation, this awareness of participation in the present moment. So not only are we playing a role, not only are we unaware that we're playing the role, trying to get out of playing that role is very challenging. It's very difficult to break free from these hindrances. Because of this, we really need to put some intentional effort into our practice. If we didn't, it would be like just rubbing a magic lamp and maybe a genie would come out and just give us three wishes and we can wish for wisdom, compassion, and joy. And there we would be on the other side of suffering. But instead, we have to live a life of Dharma. We have to live a life of awakening where we are participating intentionally with mindfulness and compassion, with wisdom, skillful effort. There's a lot of intentionality in the Dharma. And if we don't remember or recall that that is the case, it is easy to get lost in the path. It is easy to be pulled back down into dukkha. It is easy to get pulled back down into stress and discontent and dis-ease. It is easy to get lost in the loudness of living and to get unbalanced and get uncentered. And all of us know what that's like to walk in the world feeling unbalanced and uncentered, even when we're trying hard to break free from the pull of maybe our past or break free from the pull of trauma or be free from the pull of strong emotions or really significant events in our life. Even with effort, it is still very challenging to do. So reflecting on that fact, reminding the mind and the heart that this takes some effort and some intention and attention is really important. Reflecting on this is part of the practice and part of skillful effort. The other thing to remember, and again, I say this quite a bit, that the enlightenment factors, the factors of awakening, the heart-mind qualities, as I like to say, the heart-mind qualities are habits. The more we practice them, the easier it is for them to arise on their own. So the more we practice compassion, the more we become compassionate. The more we practice mindfulness, the more mindful we become. And we will find that as we cultivate these positive and skillful habits, the more frequently we'll find them just blossoming in our heart, in our mind, throughout the day. We'll come in contact with suffering, and instead of some type of aggravation or resistance or aversion arising, we'll find forgiveness. We'll find peace and calm. We'll find that the mind slows down and allows us to think clearly about what we're going to say next. And suddenly, that old habit pattern is gone, and we have a heart-mind moment that is reduced of suffering, and it increases the possibility of awakening. So it's good to remember that these are habits. 
It takes training and repetition. The heart and mind are habituated to suffering, and we can habituate them to awakening, to love and joy and compassion. So it is a habit that we're cultivating. It takes practice. And so easy to forget, like anything we practice in our life, any change that we want to have. As adults, we all know how challenging it is to change habits. You know, how hard it is to get more exercise or to get better sleep or to lose weight or to find that ideal job that we want or how hard it is to um, keep certain habits, say, with our kids. We're trying to be a certain type of parent with a certain parenting orientation. How hard it is to keep that up when the kids are running around and not doing what they're told and we're trying to be a certain way and show up as a parent in a particular way. That new habit is so hard because the pullback to being frustrated and impatient and off-center, so to speak, is really strong. So these habits take time, and they really truly are habits. Another thing to recall and reflect on is that the present moment where all of this is taking place, the present moment is the only place that our lives are really taking place. And in the present moment, we have seeds from the past that are blossoming. So every present moment experience And when I say every present moment experience, I'm really thinking of the Buddha's commentary that every present moment, things are happening so quickly that we can't even see them. Like a million blinks is how the the Buddha talks about it. He says in every moment, the universe is arising and passing away a million times in the blink of an eye. To give this metaphor of the present moment has all kinds of stuff blossoming in it from, from our past. Decisions we've made are blossoming the results of decisions we didn't make are blossoming. We're being impacted by other people's decisions. Think of how many times during the day you're impacted by someone else's tweet, someone else's event that's happening on the news, right? The present moment is being triggered by all kinds of different things that are now beyond our control, our past, other people's past. So it's really important to reflect on what things in our past have we done well? What things in our past allowed us to plant seeds that in this moment are blossoming into kindness and attentive listening and compassion and wisdom? Because we've done things in our past that are giving us benefit now. But if we don't reflect on what those things are, they can arise and pass away and we won't even remember that we intended to do them or that we practiced them or we aspired to them. It's easy to forget that we've done a lot of good in our past and much of what happens in the present moment is a blossoming of our past actions. So recalling and reflecting on past actions, the past actions that planted seeds that are blossoming into goodness, and of course, to reflect on the past and ask ourselves, what might have I done different when I treated that person that way? Or when I did this action out of fear? Or that one moment a year ago when my heart contracted in this relationship and now there's a consequence here? or I made an unskillful decision, and now there's some consequences years later of certain things that I've done. Remembering that the present moment is still filled with the past is really important. Taking opportunities to reflect on how the past has influenced the present, both in positive and negative ways, is hugely skillful in the Dharma. It's definitely considered skillful means. And this reminds us that the present moment the past and the future are all intertwined. We talk about the present a lot in meditation. It's probably the most common word we say, right? Present, present, 
mindful, be mindful, be present. But we have to remember that the present moment is where we plant seeds of the future and it is where we inherit seeds of the past. So in, in every present moment, we are actually encouraging a certain future. The way we behave right now in this room, how we show up in this moment, encourages us to aspire and to show up in the world tomorrow and the next day in a year from now in a different way. And looking at our past and saying, I don't want to plant those particular seeds anymore and leaving them out of this present moment, again, encourages a future that can be filled with compassion and joy and wakefulness. So we're constantly educating ourselves about what we've done in the past and what we'd like to aspire to in the future. And all of this process, of course, is occurring in the present moment. And because it's so easy to forget about this, we really do need to spend quite a bit of time reflecting on what we're doing, how we're doing it, and what we're aspire, aspiring to become. How do we want to show up in the world? And how have we been showing up? And what changes might I decide to make to live into a future of my own creation? To live into a future with an open heart and an open mind? How do I do that? What little changes can I make? What new habits can I create? What new habits or what old habits can I abandon, as the Buddha says it? So we're really asking, what new habits can I create and what old habits can I abandon? This is really skillful thinking in terms of the Dharma and in terms of meditation. The more mindful we can be, the easier and clearer it will be to reflect on both the past and the future. So we can't leave out the mindfulness because we can, we can roll into the past and get stuck in regret and resentment and just slog in the mud of the past. It's easy to get stuck back there. But with mindfulness, we know why we're going back to the past. We know what we're looking for. And same with the future. We can get lost in fantasy and daydreaming and high aspirations of this and that. And we can become attached and create a reified identity. We can reify the self and glorify ourselves in this fantasy of who I'll be someday. Or we could look at the future as an opportunity for a humble path of growth and reflection. How we relate to the past and the future depends on how our hearts are in the present moment. And this, of course, depends on our mindfulness, our wakefulness, and our intention. So present, past, and future, all opportunities and chances for deep reflection that are combined with mindfulness to encourage awakening. Another thing to know about reflection has to do with the Four Noble Truths. Most of us come across the Four Noble Truths and we experience them as kind of a list Maybe a list of insights, or um, sometimes I think kind of similar to the commandments. First noble truth, like it's written on a tablet somewhere, right? First noble truth, there is suffering. The second noble truth, there's a cause of suffering. The third noble truth, there's a cure for suffering. It sounds like these big things that, you know, a deity would come down and bestow upon us as insights. But the, the, four, and the fourth noble truth is the path. The tools and the techniques and and the uh, and the trainings of heart and mind, and so these these four noble truths, though, if you look closely, are actually actions. They're ways of reflecting day to day, moment to moment, as a way of encouraging freedom, as encouraging um, movement in the direction of being lighter on our feet, so to speak. Instead of getting mired 
in the dukkha, the four noble truths are designed to sort of as a spiritual tow truck that pulls us out of the mud of the dukkha. It's designed as an intention and a reflection to get us out and moving forward, if you will, out of suffering and towards happiness. The first noble truth says there is suffering. So if we look at that, we have to remember that the first noble truth is asking us to do something. It's asking us to reflect intentionally, where in my life is there suffering now? Where in my life is there suffering now? Because most of the time, the tendency of the mind is to notice the discontent and then to run away or to deny it or distract ourselves from it by just entertainment of some sort of sensual pleasure. So the intention of the first noble truth is to remind us that the natural inclination of the mind is to run away from suffering and our commitment is to reflect on where in our lives there is discontent. So we can lean into and seek out that suffering as a doorway to freedom. Instead of closing that door, triple locking it, putting a big piece of wood across it, nailing it shut and going to Amazon Prime or Netflix and doing something else and pretending there isn't even a door to be opened. It's natural and normative for the mind to push back against the suffering. That's why it's considered a noble truth. Because if we can keep the door of suffering open, if we can make our hearts vulnerable enough and skillful enough to really touch the suffering of day-to-day existence, that courage and that contact allows for awakening. And that's why it's considered such a profound truth, because our natural tendency is not to do that. So first noble truth, we reflect on where in our life has there been or is there dukkha, stress, discontent, dissatisfaction, or dis-ease. And then our second noble truth, there is a cause of suffering. Most of the time, when suffering happens, we immediately go outside of ourselves and try to change our outside circumstances. It's the natural tendency of the mind that when something is happening to us and it's negative, we immediately go outside ourselves to find the cause of the dukkha in the world. We do not tend to go in and look at how we're responding to the situation. Now, we have to remember that dukkha is not physical pain. Dukkha is psychological pain. That's why we can have autonomy and agency over it. I can't. If I fall down and break my leg, that's not because I'm a bad person. How I react to that broken leg, I have some autonomy over that. That can be a pathway to awakening, or it could be a pathway for people to listen to me complain and... Sorry, my, my audio just went out. Could be an opportunity for, for me to complain or to feel bad for myself or not take responsibility or whatever the case may be. So we have to remember that dukkha is not this punishment where we're trying to tell people, oh, something bad happened and it's your fault. What we're talking about is that humans psychologically have an opportunity to choose how we respond to things that distress us. The Buddha says that discomfort is inevitable. There's going to be discomfort in life. But the suffering that comes from how we react, that is something we can really essentially experiment with. We can change the way we respond and decrease 
the level of suffering, that psychological strain that happens for all of us as humans. Now, again, it doesn't mean we don't try and change the outside environment, but what we acknowledge is the dukkha is in fact coming from within. It is coming from our psychological response to the circumstances. Now, the third noble truth, oh, let's, let me say one more thing about the second noble truth. The action of the second noble truth is essentially asking, what role am I playing here? What am I clinging to? What are my expectations? If I fall down and I break my leg and I say something like, oh my gosh, this is the worst timing for me to break my leg, as if there's a better time to break my leg, right? So I say, this is the worst time I can break my leg. That's dukkha. That response makes me get angry. Like, I can't believe my leg broke right now or my car broke down right now. It's a bad day for this to happen. That contraction of the heart, I'm playing a role in that contraction. I can change that role and say, oh, look, legs break, cars break, dishes break. Some things happen and the way I react can change that level of suffering. First noble truth invites us to reflect on where is the suffering. The second noble truth invites us to reflect, how am I participating in this discomfort? What thoughts am I having? What feelings am I having? What kind of expansion or contraction of my body am I engaging in? What role am I playing in this moment? Where is the clinging? Where is the pushing away? The other day I broke a, I filled a cup up and I knocked it over and it shattered everywhere. And my first thought was, oh my God, really right now? And my second thought was, aha, that's the second arrow right there. And I smiled and was like, eh, I'm going to sweep it up. And this is what I got to do. So the glass broke. But my first response wasn't that. My first response was, oh, I've got to get on a Zoom call. This is totally not really what I need right now. And that contraction is dukkha. So with some training, I was able to recognize it quite quickly, actually. And it was like, oh, all right, the glass is already broken. Here we go. Second noble truth. Third noble truth invites us to ask this question or reflect. What skillful action can I take in this moment so that the suffering might be lowered just a little bit, right? The first thing we ask ourselves is, can I just let go a little bit in this moment? Can I just be reflective and release the tension of my aversion to the discomfort? The third noble truth is asking us, how do I act with the aspiration of release? How can I behave, think, feel, and show up in the world in this moment so that this will not ruin my day. So the suffering will decrease quicker and ultimately decrease completely. Now, this is one of those things that we have to practice because there's plenty of times when something happens in my day and it just throws me for the whole day because I didn't want it to happen and it's really uncomfortable and I'm going to whine about it and complain about it and I'm just going to work myself up and it's just going to be a day that is where the third noble truth comes in. If we can catch it and ask ourselves, huh, I'm having a really bad day here. What might I be able to do to intervene? What, what can I control in this moment? Because oftentimes we don't ask that. We don't ask that of ourselves sincerely. We don't pause and breathe and say, huh, what role am I playing here? 
So those are the three noble truths and the actions or reflections associated with them, where we encourage ourselves to look for the suffering, to be able to ask ourselves, where in my life is there discontent? Open that door versus close it and lock it. Don't shut it out. Invite it to tea, as we say. Look for the role that we're playing and then try to create a new skillful habit. Plant some seed of skillful habit or let go of a negative one. Change our perception, change the way we're thinking, take a deep breath, all kinds of things that we do in the Dharma. Just be present, try to cultivate equanimity, all the different skills that we do. Offer loving kindness, things like this. Those all fall into this category of what can I do in this moment that can lead to my release? All of this that I've talked about are forms of reflection, right? These are forms of reflection that keep us on track with the path, keep us on track with looking for our suffering and finding ways of being free, because that really is the practice. We're really looking to become wise, to become more compassionate, and to be free from suffering. This is why we practice. It's why we come together weekly here. It's why we sit on the cushion and go on retreats and join in Sangha, is to look for the suffering Find out how we're participating and let go. Plant new seeds of positive habits and let go of those hindrances. Those are the reflective process. That is the reflective process of the Dharma. So in the spirit of this, I would like to walk us through a few reflections. I would invite you to grab a piece of paper and pencil. Now, if you don't want to write it down, you could do this just as a meditation. I would invite you to do both to make it meditative and do some writing. But if you don't want to write it down, it's not the end of the world. But go ahead and grab a piece of paper and a pen. And I'm going to throw out some questions here for some reflections. I'm going to invite you to do a couple things while we're doing the exercise. First thing I would invite you to do is remember to be mindful of body. Be mindful of body as we're thinking about this. Keep in touch with emotions. Be aware of your thinking. Be aware of your feeling as these thoughts and feelings arise and pass away. So be thinking and being aware of thinking and feeling and be aware of body sensations. Make sure because the first foundation of mindfulness is body. We always want to try and keep awareness, some part of our awareness, in grounded in the reality of physical being. The other thing I would suggest is when you write something down, don't think even in terms of a full sentence. Just write a word or two that represents the idea for you. It could just be a word or two. Um, it'll be easier for you to feel if you just write down a couple ideas rather than like a paragraph or something like that. Just write a few words that represent what I'm about to ask you. Okay. Being grounded in the body, being grounded in breathing, I would invite you to call to the altar of your heart one to three things that went well for you this past month. Being aware of body, being aware of mood, call to the altar of your heart one to three things that went well for you this past month. And as you bring these into awareness, there's a second layer of this that I would invite you to try, which is, can you bring gratitude to this awareness? 
Can you find a sense of gratitude that this goodness has happened, that these conditions have arisen in your life, whether it be a person or place or relationship? Could be your health or well-being or someone's el- someone else's health or well-being. Can you bring a sense of gratitude? Like, I am thankful that this went well this last month. you to consider the different domains of your life and I'm going to ask you a question. So consider the fact that we're fairly complex creatures and we have all kinds of things going on. We have our family, our extended family, our kids, our partners. We have our family. We have our work environment. We have our friends. We have our social environment. We have our health, our well-being, our self-care. And then we have kind of our leisure, our downtime. And considering all of these facets of your experience in the last month or so, I ask you to consider this. In what area of your life do you feel most fulfilled? In what area of your life do you feel most fulfilled, most grounded, most centered? Maybe it's with your partner or your children. Maybe your job is going well and you feel fulfilled there. Maybe you've really been taking care of yourself this month and self-care has just been really great and you just feel grounded and healthy. There's a sense of well-being. Maybe you've just had joy this month and you've had some fun. Maybe you feel grounded just in leisure, just in relaxation. Where in your life do you feel most fulfilled, most grounded, and most centered? And again, can you bring a sense of gratitude that this is happening, that you actually do have a sense of grounding somewhere in daily life, that there is at least a part of your life where there's a sense of fulfillment, a sense of centeredness that you can take refuge in. It is so important to remind ourselves where we feel fulfilled and good things that are happening. The mind loves to go to the negative. It's so important to take a minute to breathe and remind ourselves what opportunities we have had recently to feel grounded, safe, secure, and fulfilled. Remembering that we participate in those moments of fulfillment, that we play a role in shaping that in our lives. That being fulfilled is not just about circumstance, it's also about how we're responding to what's arising and passing away. So to say that we feel grounded and fulfilled is to say, I am doing something in my life that is contributing to that fulfillment. I am planting seeds of long-term happiness and well-being. 
I am participating in this, and there can be a sense of gratitude, both for the circumstances we can't control, but a gratitude for the fact that you have been participating in your life, at least part of your life, somewhere, somehow, that has produced a sense of joy and well-being. Now a counter question to this, our first noble truth. In which one of the domains of life do you feel most out of balance these days? Where do you feel out of balance? Where do you notice that door that you'd like to close, but as a Dharma practitioner, we keep it open and we look for the dukkha? Where in life do we feel out of balance? Where do you feel unfulfilled? Perhaps home life has been a source of discontent. Perhaps well-being with COVID and the stress of that has been a sense of discontent. Perhaps you haven't given yourself the self-care you would have liked and there's a sense of being not as filled with well-being and joy as you'd like. That's fine. But we acknowledge it. We lean into it. We invite ourselves to consider Yes, there's goodness in my life right now, and yet, first noble truth, where is the discontent? This last month, where am I out of balance? And when we consider this part of our life, the situation, circumstance, or relationship where we feel a little out of balance, we then take a deeper reflection and ask ourselves, what role do I play in this discontent? How am I reacting to this condition of imbalance? How do I think about it? How do I feel about it? How do I participate in it? Now this of course takes time, but in this moment, if there's any words that can describe that participation, Anything you jot down is helpful. What role do I play in this discontent? Or have I played? That's another way of framing it. The question that is the sibling to this one, of course, is the third noble truth, which asks us to investigate, what would I do differently? What could I do differently to plant seeds of well-being in relationship to this particular dukkha? Is there any small thing? Think of terms of small. It doesn't have to be eradicating the problem or transcending the problem, but what small thing might you aspire to to bring your life back into balance in this particular way? The relationship that's slightly, maybe it has some tension or some aggravation with the kids or you just need a day off or need to take a walk and you just haven't got around to it. You need to get a better night's sleep. And what, what small thing could you do to bring your life back into balance? This agency and autonomy that the Buddha is talking about, the third noble truth, that there is a way out. We can plant seeds of long-term happiness and well-being by starting with, how am I out of balance and what little things could I do or aspire to do to bring myself back into presence, 
back into authenticity. What might you reflect on in that way? And as always, I always like to invite us to remember to ask this question. Think of something that went well in your Dharma practice this past month. Something you learned, something that inspired you, something that moved you. Maybe it was just that you practiced. Wonderful. Think of one thing that went well with your Dharma practice this month. Maybe it's an insight that carried you through or a poem that Robert read in the morning. Something that happened where you practiced and the practice went well. Some time you felt mindful or compassionate or patient and at ease. Call to the altar of your heart some success you had with the Dharma. This path that you're walking, this practice that you're engaging in. What went well? What seeds were planted in this last month that may blossom in the future to bring us closer to awakening? question I always invite people to ask is, considering that the self is an impermanent changing phenomenon, and we can practice showing up in the world with joy and wisdom and compassion, and that we participate in which self arises moment to moment, how would you like to show up in the world for the rest of this month? How would you like to show up in your life? What self would you like to call into being? And write a couple words down that embody that. Maybe you want to show up as joy. Maybe you want to show up as courage. Maybe you want to show up as optimism and hope. Maybe you want to show up as laughter, irreverence, silliness. What do you, how do you want to show up? For yourself, for your friends and family, which skillful self can you call into being, aspire to bring into existence in the next few weeks? If you could show up as any, anyone, who would you show up as? How can you plant seeds by aspiring to show up as a kind, compassionate, loving person in the world. And what does that look like for you? One thing that comes to mind for me is optimism. I'm going to make a commitment to show up more optimistic this month. My optimism was waning this last month, and I think for me, I'm going to aspire to be optimistic and bring optimism to others I come in contact with. Optimism. Reflection. Reflection is important. 
So as always, my friends, I encourage these kind of reflections often. And at the end of each month, I encourage folks to take a little spiritual GPS and reflect on the dukkha, reflect on the good, reflect on things we can be grateful for, and remind ourselves that we have an opportunity to aspire to be free. And that aspiration is really contagious, that we can aspire to be loving, compassionate, and wise. And we can aspire that all beings can share in the merits of that practice. And I'm making a concerted effort today to make sure that we end on time, because I know you guys value your time and I want to respect that. So let's, with the spirit of these aspirations, let's um, fall back into the present moment for a few more minutes. And let's invite others to share in the merits of our practice. Let us get present for our aspiration for the rest of this month. Feel that aspiration in your body, feel it in your heart. What is your greatest longing for the next few weeks? We engage in these aspirations so we can be transformed. We engage in these aspirations so we can bring kindness, and consideration, and forgiveness, and mercy, and benevolence into the world. So we can show up as agents of change, as beings that bring light wherever we go. So let us wish that all beings share in the merits of our positive aspirations. Let us remember that we choose to show up in the world kind and loving and wise so that everyone we come in contact with benefits from the merits of that aspiration. With our ultimate aspiration being the freedom from suffering, the highest aspiration being one of love and compassion, joy and equanimity, may all beings be free from suffering, may all beings be safe from harm, and may all beings know true love and true happiness in this lifetime. May all beings know true love and true happiness in this lifetime. Thank you so much, my friends, for coming back for another journey together. I always find it inspiring to be with you because it really does help me aspire on this path. So coming every week together is just delightful. My wish for you is that your highest aspirations in this next few weeks come to pass. I would invite you to take three words that represent that aspiration and post it somewhere you can see it. 
on your bathroom mirror, or next to your bed, next to your keys, something you see on your refrigerator. Remind yourself of your highest aspiration at least once a day and know that everyone in this group wishes to share in the merits of that practice. On that note, take care my friends. I will see you next week. Be well.